This episode was brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Dave, Greg, Dan, Ian Urza, Kevin, Ashley, Blake, Joel, Brian, Amy, Ian West, and Trey. Stick around for an extended shout-out at the end. Now on to the episode. Welcome to another episode of Father and Son Watch Horror Movies. I am your co-host, the father, a.k.a. Pastor Matt, and I am joined as always by my trusty sidekick, Jackson the Son and Dad. Please address me from now on as Professor J- Henry Jared Master Wax Sculptor and Big Marie Antoinette fan. Just a little something I'm trying out. Rolls somehow right off the I knew you were going that route. I yeah. Somehow I just knew you were going that route. Hey, re- alternatively, okay, if it's easier for you, you can call me Witchfinder General Matthew Hopkins IV. That's an easier, I don't know. Yeah, I just don't want your assistant around anywhere. But anyway, all right, we are a spoiler podcast. We do spoil the movies we cover. And for this episode, we are paying tribute to the late, great Vincent Price, who was born in May of 1911. And in order to pay a proper tribute to this legend, we needed help. And who better than the Encyclopedia of Knowledge himself, Dave Dr. Shock Becker. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. Thank you so much. And Vincent Price is one of my favorite actors. He's in he's in the top ten, so um, I can't wait to, uh, to to talk some of his films. But I, I got to say, I'm a little concerned with uh, with Jackson wanting to be Matthew Hopkins the fourth because <laughs> yes. uh, uh, we're scheduled to to meet up in July, and that's that's the type of thing that has me a little a little, <laughs> little bit on edge. Okay, maybe I'm more like him in House on Haunted Hill. Is that is that a okay. little better? That's that's a little bit better. Yeah, that, that's just want to murder your wife. Is that it? <laughs> it's better. Than, yeah, I got I got I got less of the kill streak though. So you know. <laughs> oh man! Oh man! Oh man! Yeah. Okay. So, whoa, we're going to be talking about the man who passed away in 1993 at the age of 82. Um, but we also uh, each have a Vincent Price film to cover. But thir- first, the thoughts on. The man himself. Dave, thoughts on Vincent Price? Uh, well, Vincent, like he's one of the things I like about Vincent Price is that everything you read about him, he was kind of a Renaissance man. Um, mm. he, he loved to cook. He collected art. Um, you know, he obviously performed on, on theater. He went to Yale University. Yeah. Uh, he was a very uh, intelligent individual and i i, I was studied watching, art in london as a in, yes. a in a graduate program yeah yes absolutely um and like i said he loved to cook but what i thought was interesting and i just saw this in a um one of the uh special features i have uh, the movie i'm watching tonight i have it on blu-ray and they have some uh, some bonus features on it and they were talking about uh, it was called i think it was called uh, vincent price renaissance man um that yes he loved to cook and when he would go around the world uh, he spoke multiple languages he would go to fancy restaurants and some of the the best restaurants in the big cities and go into the kitchens and talk to the chefs and try to learn their secrets then bring Mm. them back and 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 sort of when he'd entertain he would he would cook but he wasn't a food snob because he would also take friends to ball games and buy them hot dogs you know so he just he liked to eat he wasn't uh (laughs) it wasn't just all about the he didn't like the term gourmet because he liked all food. It wasn't just gourmet food that he liked. Wow. Um, and the very first uh, piece of art that he purchased, he actually did when he was 12 years old, apparently by stealing from a charitable <laughs> box or lifting some <laughs> money from it. But he also paid for it on a plane. It was a Rembrandt. He actually purchased a Rembrandt wow. Wow. at the age of 12. Wow. Uh, and, and paid for it sort of, um, you know, a little bit each week. Um, he was privileged. He came from, a, from, I think his father had owned a business. His grandfather had invented baking powder, I want to say. Uh, wow. 
or something. So he definitely was not, you know, he, he, he didn't have meager beginnings. Um, and they were able to afford him all um, uh, what life had to offer. He was also, I found out, I didn't realize this, for a time he was part of Orson Welles' Mercury Theater. I didn't know that. Yeah, I just found that out today, as a matter wow. of fact. He was part of that. He ended up leaving because he saw, he found uh, uh, Orson Welles a little bit too overbearing. So he didn't last Oh, well, that's not, a, that's not a majority opinion or anything. Yeah, exactly, right. <laughs> but he... But, from that, he became very good friends with uh, Joseph Cotton, who would he would appear with in um, uh, the the abominable Doctor Fives. Yes. Um, so they had a, a, a long friendship um, from his time in the Mercury Theater, which I thought was very interesting. Wow. Um, and then when you get into just just everything, and it, I loved it because it touched it touched on his early days in Hollywood. They, when he first went to Hollywood, they were promoting him as a leading man, as as a romantic. Um, leading man. He tried out for the role of Ashley Wilkes in Gone with the Wind, actually. Wow. Um, he, he had tried out for that role, did, obviously didn't get it, but he was one of the ones who auditioned for it. Um, but the problem was Hollywood didn't really know what to do with him because every time he would only work for six months in Hollywood, go back to New York, do some more Broadway and come back sort of changed. And they're like, what do we do with this guy? And they, so he became a character actor. And then he appeared in, he was in the 10 commandments with Charlton Heston. Apparently yep. he was, he was very good friends with Charlton Heston. So um, he was in the, who 10 was, commandments. and I, I got to meet Charlton Heston. Great guy. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, a true I, gentleman. I would have loved to have met him. I had a chance. As a matter of fact, he, he was doing a book signing uh, at, um, at the mall up here back in the, um, late eighties or very early nineties. Yeah. And I remember thinking, I got to get up there and I got the times mixed up and I missed him, oh. but I was able to pick up one of the autograph books that were left. So I, the, yeah. uh, his, his biography, I do his autobiography. I do have an autograph copy of it at least, but I did not get a chance to meet him. And I remember thinking at the time, Oh, there'll be another chance. It's okay. Don't worry. You got the autograph, but you'll meet him again. And of course, it never happened. He was a gentleman. I remember listening to uh, Dana Gould being interviewed, and he talked about being on uh, Bill Maher's TV program. Mm -hmm. I can't remember if it was one on HBO or the one that used to be on TV. I can't remember which one it was, he said, but he was on with Michael Moore and Charlton Heston. And Dana Gould is a progressive. He's a liberal. And he said, when I when we finished taping, the only person... I wanted to hang out with was Charlton Heston. <laughs> That's very interesting because so Whoopi Goldberg is 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 also obviously a, a, a very liberal in her politics, yep. um, and Charlton Heston was very conservative. But she even she even said, "I hate his politics, but I love that man." You know, and yeah. she she said, "I absolutely love that man," and I think she even got a chance to to give him a kiss at one point. Um, and it, it it sort of stems back, I think, to Neil Mega Man. The first interracial yep. kiss was yep. Charlton Heston. That was in the Omega Man. Well, people forget. I mean, as conservative as he was, he walked. He marched with Martin Luther King. I he mean, did, he was. Yes. He, yeah, he was not. He was not your prototypical conservative. And Charlton Heston. I know we're going a little off topic here, but that's okay because um, movie geeks listen to this. So right. and <laughs> so. You know, yeah, he was. He was very kind to me. I remember hearing an interview with Ben Affleck. He was at the premiere. Um, oh crap! What was the movie, the the meteor movie, that he did with Bruce Willis? Oh, Armageddon. 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 Yeah, Armageddon. Yeah. And he said that he took his mom to the premiere, and his mom is a progressive, and walked up to Charlton Heston and said, 
so good to meet you, but I really object to your politics. And Charlton Heston responded, most people do, dear. Most people do. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes. But but yeah, Vincent Price was in Ten Commandments, also in Laura. Yes, he was in Laura. That's the movie he's most proud of. Yeah. Apparently, that's the one he talked about the most. Otto Preminger's Laura. And Otto's, Otto Preminger is such a great director. I mean, he's, mm-hmm. he's done so many great movies um, that I love. And apparently, he wasn't a very nice person. <laughs> you no. know, he was a nasty guy when he was directing. Um, but he, he did, yeah, Vincent Price was in Laura. Vincent Price was in, um, well, he had done something like Dragon Wick. I think he had done, um, he did The Baron of Arizona, which yeah. was a very early Samuel Fuller movie. Um, I think it's one of his first like lead roles, isn't it? I think it was. He was the lead. Yeah, he was the lead in Baron of Arizona. Um, So he he had a career before getting into horror, and Mm. it's one of the movies we're going to talk about tonight that sort of cemented him as a horror actor. Yeah, yeah, and he made a career out of it, and so. And so, Jackson, your thoughts on Mr. Vincent Price? First of all, let me say, it sounds like we need to do a double bill episode on The Last Man on Earth and The Omega Man. I think that needs to happen at some point. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. That would be awesome. Yeah. That would be but, awesome. But, uh, yeah, I love Vincent Price. I mean, he just, he brings class to every production he's in. He delivers his lines with conviction. And even if he isn't totally invested in every production he's in, I mean, sure, he took a paycheck here and there. But he never brings the movie down. He always elevates it. Like him being there elevates the movie. Like most, some movies that he's in, I wouldn't see them unless he was in it. You know, he, he's one of those actors. Um, and plus, he's always got great facial hair. I mean, you can count on him for that. Um, and I will say real briefly, Gone with the Wind would have been a much better movie if it featured Vincent Price. I love Leslie Howard, but Vincent Price, man, that would have been something. Uh, that that would have been really fun. I second that absolutely because that, and I and I'm and I, I like Leslie Howard too. I'm a big Leslie Howard fan as well. But I imagine Vincent Price and Gone with the Wind. How cool oh, would that have been? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, he elevates movies like The Tingler, <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, The Tingler. I I enjoy The Tingler. Don't get me wrong, but. It, it it largely is a ridiculous concept. Oh, it's it absolutely is. The the story is, you know, and Vincent Price sells it. You know, when Vincent yes. Price is done, you're kind of like, <laughs> yeah, you know what? I could kind of buy the story. And then you start thinking about it, it's like, oh, how stupid. <laughs> you know, it's just oh. such a stupid story. I love the Tingler too. I love I love the movie. I really yes. do. It's it's like one of those William Castle films. Um that you know uh, and, and even the one I'm going to be discussing has uh, moments in it that you're kind of like, boy, that doesn't make a lick of sense. <laughs> but Vincent Price in the movie helps to make helps to legitimize it in a way because you sort of buy him as a sophisticate. And, and he, he lifts the films up in a way that when you think of the other um, horror icons, the other uh, other horror actors, when you think yeah. of, and another one of my favorites is, is Bela Lugosi. I love yeah. Bela Lugosi because he brought it every time. But when you think of his schlocky films, they're not of the quality of Vincent Price's <laughs> schlocky films. No. They no. just don't quite Pull the that. string! Pull yeah. the string! Pull yes. the string! <laughs> <laughs> the Tingler, even the Tingler is better than Bella Lugosi in a Brooklyn Gorilla. I mean, uh, yes, oh, absolutely. <laughs> even though Bella Lugosi is giving his all, 
Yes. Umbrella Ghost meets a Brooklyn Gorilla. You just can't get over. And, and I can't remember the name of the actor now. Damn it. It's, it's, it's a shame. Yeah. But the guy who's got his shirt tied in front. Oh, my where, God. Where yeah. he just kind of looks like he, he, he should be, like, waiting on tables or something. And he should probably be a girl. <laughs> the way he was uh-huh. wearing his shirt in that movie. I, I can't remember his name now. But he went on to make some really good sort of um, uh, exploitation films, too, after that. It was, it was, a, it was a Martin and Lewis ripoff. Is what it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that was raised a little bit by Bella Lugosi. Forget the gorilla. Bella Lugosi was in it. And that's the reason to say it. But anyway, um, yeah, Vincent Price, even when he was doing those comedies, um, yeah. the Poe uh, comedies, The Raven, yeah. uh, with, um, uh, well, actually, Carl Peter Lorre. Peter Lorre. Yeah. And he was such good friends with Peter Lorre. He actually spoke at Peter Lorre's funeral. He was one of the speakers. Um, when, when Peter Lorre passed away in 1964, um, it's just, he just raised them. There was something about Vincent Price. There are a lot of people who might even think he's British. If you, if, if, if you think about it and then he made yep. that, that he worked with Cushing and, and Christopher Lee. And I remember in, in, in this documentary, I just saw, he said he kind of just sort of blended in with those guys, you know, he just sort of blended naturally in and they all sort of became fast friends. Um, well, but they were always, I mean, and and one of the things is, you know, I've heard over the years, I mean, Christopher Lee certainly had an ego, but that being said, even though he had an ego, um, I've never heard anybody talk about Christopher Lee or Vincent Price or Peter Cushing as jerks. I mean, right. they always, they always were professional. They, you know, and they were very sophisticated guys. You just seem to get along. Yes, Absolutely. Absolutely. And then and Vincent Price was the American version of that. You know, mm-hmm. he, he was he was the uh, one of the things and it's so it's so cool. And we're just going to I'm just going to throw this out there real quick because I, I don't want to step on anyone's toes in case they're going to bring it up. There, there was a little short that Tim Burton did an animated short called Vincent. Yep. And it was narrated by Vincent Price. Yeah. All right. And it was it was in this in the form of like an Edgar Allan Poe poem is what it was about a little boy who um, is, is sort of uh, addicted to the macabre. His mother's telling him, go out and play. It's sunny. Go out and, you know, have a good time. But <laughs> he's too, um, you know, he's, he's too distraught over the death of his beloved wife and you know, mm-hmm. all of this of mm-hmm. a little boy. Vincent Price narrated that. Vincent Price said that short was better than a star on the Walk of Fame. Wow. That Tim Burton did for him in that short. He said that meant more to him than a star on the Walk of Fame did. Well, and of course, you know, he turned down a lot of roles in the 80s um, because he was in ill health. And right. but he still did Edward Scissorhands, you know, for Tim Burton. Right. Because he loved right. the guy. Which ended up being his last film, if I'm not mistaken. I think you're right. And but it was I can't remember whose podcast I was listening to. It was either Gilbert Gottfried's podcast or Joe Dante's podcast. And I, I love I, I just be honest, I um, I put this on facebook and everything i got to play trivia with gilbert godfrey that's uh, awesome that's a few, <laughs> about a month ago and i've known gilbert since 1990 wow. um because my ex-sister-in-law was a stand-up comic and so i would go backstage at the comedy store and stuff like that with her and i just got to know stand-up comics that way because they'd be back there in the green room you know so kind that, of would have been, that would have been around the time of what was it judy tenuta and um yep. Uh, yep. 
Emo Phillips. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It was Kevin. I mean, I remember distinctly being back and and having a drink and, and, and Mitzi throwing a fit because of time at the comedy store. And there was like Kevin Pollack, Gilbert Gottfried, um, Sam Kinison. Oh, Sam Kinison. Wow. Yeah. All these people backstage. And what I loved about Gilbert Gottfried and Gilbert Gottfried is, um, he's he's a radical introvert it's really right. tough to get him to say anything right uh unless he's got a microphone in front of him but he was backstage i remember he and kevin pollock were having this conversation and kevin pollock was is one of the most intelligent people i've ever met by the way kevin pollock i i saw something recently where he talked about a meeting he had with um christopher walken at a party or something oh, wow. that was hilarious. But anyway, go ahead. I don't want to, I don't want to derail. No, it was just Kevin Pollack is really smart, really insightful. Uh, you know, he's kind of known for doing like William Shatner imitations and stuff mm-hmm. like that, but right. he's, he's really sharp, but Gilbert Gottfried's really quiet, but he got Kevin Pollack got Gilbert Gottfried when I was backstage to do his Vincent price impression. Ooh. And he does a spot on vincent price impression wow yeah and so i I, oh man it was it was great but if you were if you were to list everybody who could possibly do a vincent price impression i don't know that gilbert godfrey would be anywhere near the top of that i was thinking the same thing (laughs) and he does peter lore and he does sydney greenstreet Perfect. Wow. You That's tried awesome. to poison me, my dear. That's how I'd imagine it sounds. <laughs> he, does the tinkler. he did the tinkler the night I was backstage. He was, you know, scream, scream for your life. The tinkler is on the loose. And he did it a lot better than I did. But everybody wow. was just rolling, laughing because Gilbert did it like perfectly. Oh, that's awesome. I, yeah. that's, I, that's, that's really cool. I would have never guessed that. Oh, absolutely. So, oh, man. Um, so, Jackson, when when did you even become aware of Vincent Price? Uh, probably Thriller. I mean, it had to be Thriller, right? Um, uh, okay. I would say Thriller, although I'm, I was aware of Edward Scissorhands, you know, pretty early on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the first real but Did Vincent you even Price- know who it was when you watched Edward Scissorhands? No, I, I don't think I knew who it was, and I don't think I knew it was Vincent Price doing Thriller. I just thought it was a cool voice. Um, I'm not sure what the first movie I actually tried to sit down and watch it with the mindset that it was Vincent Price. Um, though it might have actually been, like, my first movie watching as a horror fan, knowing, like, the gravity that the name Vincent Price brought with it, might have been the abominable Dr. Fibes. That might have been the first one I actually tried to sit down and watch. Ooh, and, um... Good. Which is an interesting one because he's not really in that a lot as himself, as his usual self. Um, I mean, his voice is, but uh, an interesting one to start with, I guess. But um, yeah, ever since then, I've been slowly but surely watching Vincent Price movies to the point where I feel comfortable, you know, saying that I'm a Vincent Price uh, fan. Uh, though I, I am learning new things about him every day. Like I'm on his IMDb right now, and apparently he was in The Great Mouse Detective. So never would yep, guess that. He was. Yep, he um, was. Wow. Yep. <laughs> so uh, yeah, great, awesome guy. He's got a really varied filmography, um, and that you know tracks right with his personality. Where he was a Renaissance man, like like Dave said, he was he was an everything man, and that is uh, you know really really admirable. And he had a good life. And yeah, I'll, and I'll, go I'll, ahead, 
I'm just going to say, I used to love the old Batman show back mm-hmm. in the 60s yes. with Adam West. Yes. I would yeah. watch that thing religiously. It used to play on, they'd repeat, they repeated it here in Philly, and I'd watch it all the time. One of my favorite villains was Egghead because it was Vincent Price. Yeah. Oh, Even oh, as nice. a kid, I knew who Vincent Price was. Um, and just real quick, you know, you had mentioned Thriller, uh, Jackson. Uh, we had... I guess, I don't know how many years ago it was. My, my sons had to have been younger. I guess my oldest was maybe around six or seven uh, at the time. So we're looking probably around like 2003, somewhere around there. Um, we had bought a tape of uh, a Halloween tape and we were playing it on Halloween night, um, you know, sort of loud and out the windows where everybody could sort of enjoy it. the music. It had Monster Mash on it and things like that. Uh, but it had Michael Jackson's Thriller. And I remember my oldest son, who's not a horror fan. He just, when I'm watching horror, he just marches right. He comes down the stairs, goes right past. He'll watch <laughs> for a second or two, see something that scares him, and he's out. He's going, okay, I'm out. Um, he was listening to Thriller, and he listened to that narration by Vincent Price. And he just started bawling his eyes out. Really? It, scared, it scared him so much. Wow. What Vincent Price was saying in Thriller absolutely terrified him to the point that he was like crying. We had to stop the tape. We had to stop the tape and sort of sit him down and just calm him down. But he was fine with Thriller until Vincent Price's narration came on. It just absolutely scared the hell out of him. Wow. And, you know, and it's funny because at the same time, when I when I started on, I lost track was. I, like I said, I can't remember which podcast it was, but um, a couple screenwriters went to pitch something to Vincent Price. So they go to his home and they find it on like a Hollywood map. He's outside mowing the grass. And, <laughs> you know, he stops mowing the grass and he's like, he brings him in, serves him like sweet tea and they sit down and he's like, and they pitch him a, a movie and he's like, oh, you know what? I'm too old for that now, but let me. I like the idea. Let me call some people. And he, he got up and did, and he just started calling people. Wow. It was like, and you know, it was like what you said, um, Dave, I mean, wine connoisseur, art collector, masters of fine arts, Yale university, Broadway. And yet he was down to earth. Yes, exactly. And that, that was the thing years ago, my mother had bought me for a year. She bought me a subscription to the Hollywood reporter, knowing how much of a film mm-hmm. fan I was. I want to say it was, uh, and I that's remember, a serious gift because that's expensive. <laughs> it is. And I, you get it every week. I mean, it's yeah. like you get it every week. Um, and one of the things, it has classifieds in there. You know, it has classifieds, mm. things for sale. And I remember looking at one one time and it was a mansion. And it was like, I don't know how many bedrooms, bathrooms, but it had a tennis court. It had a movie room. It had a swimming pool. But the biggest selling point was that it used to belong to Vincent Price. It was wow. Vincent Price's old home, and it was selling, you know, it was a steal at $10 million. That's what they were asking wow. for it. And I remember thinking, if I won the lottery, I would buy it only because, but the big selling point for me oh. was that it was Vincent Price's, that Vincent Price once lived there. You That's know, he right. worked in the kitchen. That could have been the lawn he was mowing. You know, yeah, exactly. when, when they pulled up to him in the story you just told, that would have been, that, that's the one that I keep trying to find that. I, I still have them all. 
I saved the ones that were around Oscar time, you know, for your consideration. It was around when um, the, you know, uh, what was it? Wes Anderson's uh, the the uh, Life Aquatic was the Zisu came out yeah, and things yeah. like that. Um, but I keep trying to find that one for that listing for, for Vincent Price's mansion because they even had a picture of it there. And I just remember thinking I would love to own that because it belonged to Vincent Price. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's get to the movies. And Dave, let's start with you. Let's talk about your pick, House on Haunted Hill. I'm Vincent Price, and you're invited to my party in the house on Haunted Hill, where so far the ghosts have murdered only seven people. So won't you come and make it eight? You'll see human heads without bodies, mysterious pools of blood dripping from the ceiling. The walls move slowly in against you. Don't try to escape, you can't. waiting so won't you join me in the house on haunted hill hurry or you'll be late for your own funeral house on haunted hill of all of vincent price's films and he made a lot of great ones Mm -hmm. the house on haunted hill is one of my all-time favorite films um directed by william castle uh and um We'll get into that in a little bit. But anyway, let's just get into a synopsis here. And I had reviewed this on the blog. This is one of the earlier films I reviewed. Yes, yeah, it's going back to 2011 when I wrote this review. Uh, but anyway, just um, a synopsis. Millionaire Frederick Lauren, Vincent Price, has invited five people to join him and his wife, played by Carol Omart, yep. uh, to a party being held in what is supposedly a genuine haunted house. Uh, the guests are psychiatrist Dr. David Trent, played by Alan Marshall, newspaper columnist Ruth Bridgers, Julie Mitchum, test pilot Lance Schroeder, played by Richard Long, the house's owner, Watson Pritchard, Elijah Cook Jr., plenty to say about him in a moment, Yeah, uh, and Nora Manning, Carolyn Craig, uh, who was just a random employee in one of Lauren's companies. As an added bonus, Lauren has promised to pay $10,000 to any of the five who agree to spend the entire night in the house. Uh, which is bolted shut at midnight and not reopened until uh, the next morning. All of the guests, with the exception of the house's owner, believe they're in for an easy payday. But the house on Haunted Hill harbors a few surprises, and when the doors reopen in the morning, some of the guests won't be walking out. Nice. And it's, I'll tell you what, this is, um, you look at the house itself from, you know, the shot of it uh, uh, that you see in the movie, it doesn't look like your your typical haunted house. It just doesn't. Right. It looks like just sort of a, a, a regular mansion. Um, but what it is, Watson Pritchard, I'm telling you, Elijah Cook is almost like the the original. Um, uh, he's a, he's the harbinger of doom. Yeah, you know, exactly. In, in this movie, yeah. I, throughout this film, he is the harbinger of doom. You, he's the first one you see. You know, his sort of disembodied head comes. First off, the movie opens brilliantly with darkness. You hear screams. 
you hear ghostly moans, more screams in total darkness. And you have to imagine sitting in a movie theater. That's immediately sending a chill down your spine. When you see that, and, and to open the movie, then you see Elijah Cook Jr.'s <laughs> head just come floating toward you. And he's got that great <laughs> line, you know, the, the ghosts are restless tonight. Let me introduce myself. I'm Watson Pritchard. I own the only genuine haunted house. So I don't, I'm sort of paraphrasing here. I don't remember exactly yep. what how he had said. You see him before you see Vincent Price. So you're already sort of thinking, wow, what is it about this house? You know, and Watson Pritchard just walks through it and he's just, I, you want to hire this guy. If you're going to have a haunted house, you want to hire Watson Pritchard oh, to help sell it because he does it. Like he, he what's his line? It. Only the ghosts in this house are glad we're here. Yes, exactly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then he gets drunk and it yeah. gets even worse. <laughs> the more he drinks, the worse it gets. <laughs> oh, there's a scene where, where Vincent Price has these little coffins and he opens them up and there's firearms and those guns. So you know it's the 19, late 1950s because he hands guns to all of the guests. Um, and says, here, you can use these. And, and watch the prison immediately, that's not going to help you. They're, they're, not, they're only going to be help you against the living. You know, and he's convinced that the ghosts are the ones that are haunting him or that are going to take them out in this house. Um, I do. I love this movie. The scenes with yeah. Vincent Price and Carol Omar, who, other than this, I don't know a lot about Carol Omar, other than she was also in uh, Spider Baby. Yeah, um, she, I, I can't find her in a lot. Yeah. No, but I, Spider Baby, I remember her in that one. And she kind of plays a similar role in Spider Baby, if I remember correctly, that she, that she plays in this, in this one. She's the wife. The scenes with the two of them, I mean, uh, even you, you get the fight of the, the, the idea that Vincent Price and his wife aren't close in his narration, because after Elijah Cook's, uh, you know, disembodied head floats away, here comes Vincent Price is floating toward the screen. And he's <laughs> like, you know, we're, we're having we're hosting a party in a general haunted house. It was my wife's idea. And then he just loses his smile. She's so amusing. You know, he says that a couple times <laughs> in that opening scene where you just get the idea that they don't really get along anymore. And then the first scene, the two of them are together. You get it again where he's got the, the champagne. Join me in some champagne. Um, and he's holding the cork, like pointing it towards her oh. head. Make an interesting, you know, interesting headline in the morning. Millionaire kills wife with champagne cork. And, you know, <laughs> oh, it's really there's a tension between the two of them. Oh, yeah. uh, that's there well before anything else happens in this movie. And as I said, there are moments in it that don't make a lick of sense. And I'm thinking of somebody floating outside a window and a rope making its way through a window. Yes. Yeah. Going, How the hell did they do that? Yeah. <laughs> um, but by the same token, there are genuine fright jump scares in this movie. There's oh, yeah. one that happens. It got me the first half dozen times I saw it. That happens in the basement with um, the, the character of Nora Manning, where she like sort of stands up and there's so, just a jump scare with something behind her. It got me the first half yeah. dozen times I saw this movie. It is like a legitimate jump scare. Uh, and, the, and the way that they set this up uh, in this house, you, you start to believe Watson Pritchard, hey, maybe he's, maybe he's on to something here. That this might mm -hmm. be the only legitimate haunted house that there is. And... I just love that. Of course, uh, William Castle had that had that great um, promotion. He was he was a master of promotion. 
Um, yes. I, I don't know. The last name Rob was the one. I can't remember his first name who wrote this script. He had nothing good to say about William Castle. He hated working with William really? Castle. Really? He did. He said William Castle was nothing but a con man, but he could promote anything. He could sell anything. Yeah. And that's what he that that's what he remembered about um, working with William Castle. Because William Castle supposedly in one of the projects that this guy was going to put, both of them were going to put up $89,000. Well, he was the only one who put up the $89,000. William Castle found a way not to put up the $89,000 oh, okay. for this movie. So there was that, that little bit of bad blood. But of all that, like he said William Castle made crap, but the only movie that he actually was proud of was House on Haunted Hill. He said that one actually worked. That William Castle, because I think he had written a few of the other William Castle films. He said House on Haunted Hill was the one that worked. And, and it does, and, and in my opinion. And the, two things there. Carol Omart, she retired from acting in the early 70s. Beautiful okay. woman, beautiful yeah. actress. And she got into the occult. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. that's interesting. Yeah. And, of course, if, um, if you're a general movie fan, you'll remember Elisha Cook from The Maltese Falcon. Where yes. Humphrey Bogart slaps around, and and in fact, my my <laughs> wife right now is on her way to adopt our new puppy, who she's named Bogart, oh, and nice. and uh, one of my favorite lines in movie history is, you know, when Sidney Greenstreet tells Elijah Cook Jr.'s you know character that you're like a son to me, but but you can always have another son, but there's always there's only one Maltese Falcon. <laughs> That's good. I remember him from that one. And I also remember Elijah Cook um, from Steven Spielberg's 1941. He has a little oh, bit part right. where he's eating spaghetti or something. And he says, oh, no, they said it's just war nerves over on the radio there. And John Belushi shoots the radio. Not Elijah Cook's <laughs> eyes get really wide. Elijah Cook might be one of the only actors who shared a scene with Humphrey Bogart and John Belushi. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. You're probably right. So... Jackson, when did you first see House on Haunted Hill? This was my first time seeing it all the way through. Wow. Uh, of course, I had seen clips before. I'd seen the skeleton and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, yeah, and so that led me to believe that it was going to be a little more schlocky than it turned out being, um, because that is a real schlock moment. But, yes. Uh, and that's where William Castle really shines through. But um, here, real quick, I just want to say about the opening. If an alien came down from space, and needed, for some reason, needed to have William Castle explain to them. I would show them the first 120 seconds of House on Haunted Hill. In two minutes, <laughs> like you've touched on, Dave, we get two melodramatic monologues from two floating heads with eerie theremin music peaking in the background. And and the only thing that would have helped it is if right then the skeleton had floated out and also vomited up ectoplasm in 3D, maybe. That, that might have helped it. Then that would have been the perfect William Castle opening. But, uh, yeah, maybe other than The Screaming Skull, this is the most William Castle movie right from the get-go. But, um, yeah, the, I, this is my first time watching it all the way through. I have to admit something. Uh, I watched this on Prime, and the version that was free with Prime was the colorized version. Oh. Now, I won't say that it's always a bad thing to watch the colorized version. Plan 9 from Outer Space, I think, benefits from it. I love the colorized version of Plan 9. Nice. But uh, this one definitely suffered a little bit because I've seen screenshots oh, yeah. of it. I've seen clips of it. And it always struck me before going in as like a real strikingly lit, high contrast, black and white um, chiller, you know. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, in the colorized version, it's really brightly lit. The entire Whoa. thing, very colorful, oh, and it's a lot nice. cheaper. You can you can see the set they're in, like the walls, like where they meet and stuff, the seams and everything. It's just not as and the jump scares. There are actually two, I think, both on Nora of the housekeepers. And you can kind of see them a little bit better since the shadows aren't as dark before they appear. So you, you're you're expecting them. The only one that got me was that that initial one with the blind lady. That one did yeah. get. Oh. The one, now the one with the 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 uh, guy who grabs Nora's shoulder and is like, "He's gonna kill you." That guy didn't get me because his, you can see him the entire time, basically in that shot. <laughs> oh, that's person. a shame. Because in yeah. the because in the in the black and white you don't you see his arm come out before mm-hmm. you before you see him that's kind of a shame, right? So I'm I yeah. I think rewatching this in black and white I would benefit from that. But that being said, I still I still enjoyed it quite a bit. Yeah. Um, although one thing I will point out is I made a note of this: the part where there's blood dripping down on Miss um, Bridgers, I think her name is the yes. lady. The blood's dripping down on her hand, and the colorized version, the blood's black. It's very obviously black, and Ooh. I think. It was probably black, you know, actually on set, like the Hitchcock blood and Psycho. But right. the thing is, when you colorize it, you can tell that it's black. So it's right. a little less uh, convincing there. Um, no, it's a shame. I still love this. I, I, I it, it, ele- it rises to a level that's above other William Castle movies I've seen, like The Tingler. Um because the characters are smart, I feel like. Like, th- there's one part where they all agree, let's go into our rooms, and whoever comes out as a guilty party, stay with a gun in your room, and you- then you'll be safe if it really is a murderer, unless it's ghosts. <laughs> and I was like, wow, that's so smart. That is a good way of writing that. But then they immediately break it. Everybody just comes out of the rooms, and they don't even acknowledge <laughs> right. it. Vincent Price has <laughs> one line about it. He's like, is this an admission of guilt? He's talking to the doctor, and the doctor's like, no. And they're both like, okay. And it's like, then you're just like totally fine. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So they had an opportunity there to elevate it to a higher level, but I still think it's, it's a little bit, you can take it a little bit more seriously. Part of that is Vincent Price um, because he's so charming, even though he's not a great guy, he's possibly killed his four previous wives. Either right. killed them yeah. or, you know, he killed them basically. <laughs> um, I think we can say that safely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But he's still very charming. He's less villainous in this movie, I would say, than the other two we're talking about tonight. Uh, Or it's, it's less villainous on screen during the movie. Mm -hmm. That is, um, but he's, his banter with Carol Omar is so fantastic. It's so witty and well-written props to the writer. Um, because it's so like, it's, it's, it almost makes you think, like, believe that this is a real couple, even though they're awful. And you're like, why do these people ever get together? Money, most likely. But, right. Uh, it's, oh, yeah. It's just like you believe that they've lived with each other for a long time because they're so comfortable with each other. They're comfortable enough to talk about past instances of poisoning and everything. It's so, I don't know. It's, it's fun. Hashtag couple goals, as the kids say. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's it's just great great writing in this one. It is really thrilling. You want to see what the twist is at the end, and you get two. So that's that's pretty cool. You get two kind of twists uh, in the movie. Yep. So uh, if that's what you're going in for, and that was definitely what I was staying for, you know, I was happy. And it's it's an hour and fifteen minutes. It's not mm-hmm. a long film. They get a lot of Rob White was the name of the writer. It was, Rob White was the, the writer of this one. And like I said, this was the one he was most proud of as far as his William Castle 
mm-hmm. uh, collaborations. This was the one he was, he thought, yeah, this one actually worked. Um, but, uh, you know, so it, it, I've never seen the colorized version and, and I don't know that I want to, because, you know, there's some of them that, that I, I one of the things I remember when I was in, in school, um, I had, uh, I was in the radio, TV and film back in uh, the early nineties. And that was when Turner was colorizing a lot of things. Yeah. Um, and I remember my teacher saying, you know, a lot of people are, are, are really screaming about, you know, the, the problems with colorization and everything. But one of the things he had to do before colorizing it was restore it. Those colorizations are oh, actually the initial point. restorations of films good that, point. you know, that that most people are like, oh, you're ruining them by making them color. But yes, but he's restoring them, too. And that's the like almost the roots of restoration in a way were those initial colorizations. Um, but that said, I wouldn't imagine the House on Haunted Hill working at all in a colorized version. It really benefits from the black and white. I completely agree. I, I first saw this. Um, I got addicted to horror when I was like four or five years old. We had a horror host out of Cleveland, out of WAB, super host. And he would show horror movies on Saturday afternoon, either Universal Horror Movies or Godzilla Movies or King Kong. And But he also showed movies like this or early AIP movies. And that's where I first saw House on Haunted Hill. I love this movie. Absolutely love it. And by the way, listeners, it has 88% on Rotten Tomatoes. So wow. despite the flaws, this is, I really think, a really, really strong movie and i i just want to say um if you've if you have shutter and you've watched the cursed films thing and you've grown up with the whole myth about poltergeist was cursed because they used a real skeleton um the skeleton in this one was real as well yes they they always use real skeletons in the yes because they were cheaper than making a skeleton exactly they just got a real one exactly yeah exactly so as much as that, yeah, Poltergeist had that led to a curse on Poltergeist, but it's something they've been doing in movies from back in the. I think I think even uh, Mel Brooks did it in uh, Young Frankenstein. Yep. I'm pretty yep. sure those were real. Yep, they were real because you can pay for like you can either pay a special effects artist a couple hundred bucks to make a fake skeleton, or you can go buy one for fifteen bucks. Well, you know what? If you're a producer, what are you going to do? Right. Right. <laughs> you're gonna get it so yes that is a real skeleton that comes up in it so all right cool. what else do we want to talk about here dave what else do we want to talk about with house on haunted hill um you know what some of the some of the rest of the cast i like i said elijah cook jr is the standout as far as i'm concerned other than vincent price mm-hmm. um uh, but when you get into uh carolyn craig and i don't know a lot oh. about her um uh, Actually, this is what she's best known for. This this was the role that I, I just looked her up on Wikipedia, and it just said Carolyn Craig was an American actress who was best known for her performance as Nora Manning in William Castle's 1959 Shocker yeah. House on Warren Hill. So I guess she didn't have um, too much of a career um, after that. It looks like um, oh, she died you know, in 1970. Oh wow, she died pretty young. Thirty-six. Uh, Thirty-six yeah. years old. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I'm just looking her up now. Um, she committed uh, suicide. Oh boy, a gunshot wound. Craig wow. died, self inflicted gunshot wound on December 12th, 1970. Wow. Oh, that's and she shame. was in 
She was in Giant. I just noticed that she was in Amy yeah. Oakley. So she facing the crowd. Wow. wow, facing the crowd. So she was in some other films, obviously very small roles. Um, and it looks like she was wow. in an episode of The Many Loves of Dobie Gillis, which is kind of interesting. Wow, sixty one. Um, I guess before dropping out of Hollywood. Um, wow. That's uh, that's tragic. I you know what? That's I didn't even know that. I'm just finding this out for the first time here. Yeah, that, uh, me too. She, yeah, she died as young as she did. Very attractive woman. Yep. You know, I thought and and I thought that as as the um uh, the the victim in this, I thought she did a good job. She's the one who wanted to leave initially because the idea was that we're shutting the doors at midnight. If you change your mind, you can leave. You're not going to get the money, but you can leave. And then um, the the caretakers pull a, a, a fast one and lock up a little early. So by the time uh, Nora Man is like, I want to get out of here. Um, Vincent Price goes over, tries the door. He goes, well, I'm sorry. Uh, you're stuck. <laughs> you're you're kind of trapped here with the wow. rest of us. Well, I'm yeah. looking at I'm looking at the cast. Richard Long. Um, he died at 47. Wow. I mean. Wait, do we, looking, do we want to, do we want to, yeah, do we want to amend our, our, our saying that the uh, skeletons don't necessarily curse uh, a film? I mean, <laughs> we may want to, oh my gosh, and Alan Marshall died a few years after this film. I mean, holy crap. Maybe we're looking at a cursed film here. Wow. I mean, it, it didn't extend to the star or to Elijah Cook Jr. They lasted quite a while after. But um, well, yeah, it must have may, maybe it cursed everybody else. Wait, who now? Who played Julie Mitchell? Played. Let's see how long she. Uh, well, Alan Arch died a died of a heart attack while performing with Mae West on uh, 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 in a stage play in Chicago in 1961. Wow! Um, oh my gosh! Okay, <laughs> now. That's really something. Now, it turned out that this was Julie Mitchum's last film role, but she did live till 2003. She actually made it. She was born in 2014, lived in 2003. She played um, the writer. Well, she had the blood drip on her hand. (laughs) Yeah, that's what it was. She quit. She quit movies. She saw everybody else dropping off and said, "Okay, I'm out. Yeah. Um, But interestingly enough, she had she played a slave in the Ten Commandments. Obviously not a big role, but she was in uh, the Ten Commandments as well. But anyway, um, yeah, this could be this could have made the cursed film series. Maybe man. maybe it'll make it the second one. Man, oh man. Oh. Jackson, thoughts on this? What are you gonna do to avoid <laughs> a cursed film as a filmmaker, buddy? <laughs> I guess not have any skeletons in it or, or <laughs> yeah. go out of my way to devote the budget to, to making a fake one. Uh, <laughs> yeah, or or just or just make a movie full of real skeletons and then quit the film industry. Maybe that's the way to go. I don't know. There you but, go. Uh, but yeah, I think we've we've uncovered a new conspiracy here. Um, this is that's crazy. Um, I mean, it's it's a surprise that uh, there were no onset injuries with that totally real acid pit. Uh, <laughs> oh, of water. And how real did that rat look? Oh <laughs> yeah, floated to the surface where it had to cut. It, it went into the like, and especially when the lady goes into the water, and then it it cuts on the same shot of the bones coming up. Oh, right. That's good. <laughs> but uh and, and and speaking of that the the scene where the rat goes in i just remembered elisha cook he just tosses that rat in and the acid splashes all over their feet it seems kind of careless of him to do that that's <laughs> like, true yeah why didn't he just that's lower true. it in well but he had well he had been drinking by that point sure that's... watson watson was a lit was half in the bag by the time he threw that rat <laughs> yeah. in the ass. Maybe never... 
never played a careful character in any movie yeah. that I can remember him yeah. in. So. <laughs> Maybe he was, his hands were so sweaty. I mean, he is sweating profusely throughout this movie. Maybe yes, it, it just slipped. It just slipped out of his hands. You, you got you got to wonder why he even. He's the owner of this house. Did he really need the ten thousand that badly? Why did he even agree? <laughs> yeah. Or was he just there to be the crazy Ralph? <laughs> And and give everybody warnings about hey you, you shouldn't be here you shouldn't be here whoa this isn't good the ghosts are restless they're they're starting you've been marked you know mm-hmm. that that seems to be his hey, role look, in this the guy movie. just got out of jail after being framed for the Maltese Falcon murders and <laughs> yeah, right still suffering <laughs> a concussion from Humphrey Bogart you know slapping <laughs> him across the face so we'll give him we'll cut him a little slack we'll cut him some slack yeah. <laughs> all right so. What do we rate this sucker? Dave, what would be your rating for House on Haunted Hill? This is, I'm posting my 200 favorite uh, films. I'm doing that on Facebook and Twitter. This was one of them. So I'm going to, I'm even with its flaws, uh, and I, I recognize them. I'm giving it a 10 out of 10. I love this movie. I could sit down and watch it at any time. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I'm a 9 out of 10. Um, I love this movie. I've loved it since I was a kid. I think it's great. I think if you've never seen it, you have to check it out. Um, and it is on the Vincent Price collection from Shout Factory, which I know has gotten expensive because they went, some of them went out of print, but they are reproducing them. If you get a chance, buy them. Um, oh, and all three of them, all three of them are worth owning. Absolutely. absolutely. Yep. I've got all three and they are they're absolutely worth it. So Jackson, what do you say? Well, I hate to disappoint, uh, but I'm not quite as high, probably because I watched the colorized version on my laptop. But uh, I'm going to give it a 7.5 with room to improve while watching the black and white version, preferably on Mm. Blu-ray. But uh, I think it would be a fun double feature with The Tingler. Just like both came oh, out in yeah. 59, both were Castle and Price collaborations. And as far as I know, that's the only times they collaborated was that year, 59. Can I, can I quote uh, Greg Amortis from The Last Land of the Creeps? Please go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I, I, well, I'll say, okay, maybe, maybe if I were to think more heavily on that self playing organ. Uh, I would I would raise it to an eight. Maybe maybe I'll manifest an eight. I don't know, but uh, for right now, seven point <laughs> five. And you know what? I, you've got to see the black and white. And that yes, unfortunately, so. your first experience with it was the colorized version, and that's a shame. Mm-hmm. Where it's bright because this is not a bright movie. There's nothing about this movie no, that, that other than right. a few scenes when they're in that one room. The rest of this movie, you feel like there's darkness, you know. So the fact that they brightened it up is 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 almost as bad as the colorized. Um, and it's a shame. Uh, so, yeah, I would love to hear what you have to say coming back. Give it a few years, though. Kind of forget it. Mm-hmm. And then come back to the movie and watch it yeah. in black and white. Because they say, they, Vincent Price says in the movie, they don't have electricity. So it wouldn't really make sense for the whole place to be bright. I mean, no, it the only thing they got. No, exactly. that doesn't make any sense. So, yeah, no. you have to see this in black and white, buddy. I did you a disservice by renting it for you in color. I didn't know it was in color. Um, but yeah, you've got to see it in black and white and it does make a huge, huge difference. So absolutely. Yep. All right, Jackson, let's turn to your pick. Which finder general from 1968. With the tranquility of rural England shattered by civil war, evil was spawned at a time of strife in the land. Take him stern. 
look for the devil's marks upon him. Right. Help it, you two. Pounding the innocent in violence and terror, this evil man showed no mercy in the pursuit and interrogation of his victims. He was called the Witch Finder General. And amidst the horror of the witch hunt, a story of tender young love. Didn't your uncle just say you must early to bed? He did. And isn't he a wise man? He is. But even their innocence is cruelly corrupted by the vile touch of the witch finder general. My motive in coming here was to find the truth. Vincent Price is the witch finder general. Lust and greed were his only gods. The money from the magistrate. Nine guineas in silver. Good. Now we can leave. Ian Ogilvy as Richard Marshall. He stood alone against the forces of devilish destruction. Filmed in authentic detail and photographed with piercing realism against the actual background of peaceful villages and quiet countryside. Never has England looked so beautiful, yet been so violent. I'm your man friend. John Stern, they call me. Man's inhumanity to man portrayed on the screen so vividly that you flinch. So real that you too will fear the witch finder general. to see it, be the first to talk about it. The Witch Finder General. Do you have a synopsis, sir? I do. Um, a young soldier seeks to put an end to the evils caused by a vicious witch hunter when the latter terrorizes his fiance and kills her uncle. Um, so, Witch Finder General, the reason I was so interested in... That's an understatement, movie, by the way, but go ahead. Yeah, it's it, yeah terrorizes. Yeah, that, that, yeah that's yeah. a really vague term, isn't wow. it? But, uh, yeah, so... You know, this is this seems like kind of a weird choice for this episode, but the reason I was interested in covering it, um, well, I guess there are actually two. I think it's a reasons. weird choice because Vincent Price no? said this is one of his favorite roles. Yeah, and we'll get to we'll get to why that turned yeah. out to be the case. But um, well, first of all, I want to say I love Hammer's Twins of Evil, um, which was made mm. around the same time, and it shares some similarities yes. to this movie with the whole witch finding aspect. Of course, uh, Peter Cushing was the witch finder in, in Twins of Evil. Um, but another reason that I was looking forward to this was there's a band called Witchfinder General, which was like an 80s yes. English heavy metal band. Which, they sound by really the way, f- we just did, uh, was it Monday night, Jackson? Mm-hmm. With, uh, we, with Greg and Bill, we did our, we our metal did, episode. We did a metal horror episode mm-hmm. and with, yeah, with Greg Amortis and, and Bill Van Vagel. So yeah, they need to check that. And we didn't cover Witchfinder General, but it's a great okay. band. Yeah, they sound, if, if you've never heard them, they sound really similar to, like, paranoid-era Black Sabbath. Even yeah. The vocalist even sounds a little bit like Ozzy. But yeah. uh, so listening to those stu- two studio albums they released is like hearing new Sabbath songs. But anyway, so I was looking forward to it for that reason. Um, I had to see what it was all about. And in my opinion, the movie did not disappoint at all. It wasn't quite as horror-centric. It's more like a biopic of this guy, um, this real guy, Matthew Hopkins. Um, but it is horrific in the things that he did. Um, so yes. I don't know how popular this movie is among Vincent Price fans. I don't know how much this is talked about, but as far as villainous performances go in the whole genre, I feel like this is really a really underrated film. Um, Vincent Price in the movie is awesome um, as the witch hunter. He's not a one-note character, and uh, he's villainous all throughout, but he's one of those characters that you love to hate, and you can really understand his psyche. Um you understand him. He's not, he's n- maybe not like Peter Cushing in Twins of Evil. I think Peter Cushing actually believed what he was saying. 
I don't think Vincent Price believes for a second that he's really doing the Lord's work whenever he kills women and and men and accuses them being, of being witches. I think he just enjoys it. And uh, he has that conversation with his assistant where it's like, you enjoy the torture. And he's like, don't you? And it's like, well, let's get off the topic. Um, but uh, it's such it's such a fantastic. This is a short one, too. It's less than 90 minutes. All the ones that we're talking about are less than 90 minutes, I think. Um, yep. So they're just really well-paced movies. Um, yeah, and I watched this on YouTube. This is free on YouTube if you can't find it anywhere else. Um, and it was an extended cut with, with lower quality uh, prints inserted in of the more intense kind of witch trial footage. Um, uh, I guess the late 60s, like they weren't okay with, with them criticizing this like radical puritanical like Christian movement kind of thing. Um, because I found a great review. This is from uh, the monthly film uh, bulletin in 1968 not since peeping tom has a film aroused such an outcry about nastiness and gratuitous violence as this one so apparently it was censored heavily upon its initial release because there are all kinds of shots in the thing that are super grainy that you can tell were added in from a lower quality print yeah um, and i have no doubt that the video nasties were around in, in may of 68 which finder general would have probably made the list um, so oh, I'm, yeah. I'm curious as to what you guys thought, because I was blown away by it. And Vincent Price is the nastiest I've ever seen him in a movie in, in this in this one. Uh, yeah, him and his assistant. Dave, what do you think? Uh, well, it, Price had said um, this was his the most bloodthirsty character he ever played, yeah. which is something when you think of all the characters yeah. he played, yeah. um, that this was the most bloodthirsty. Um, I, you know what? I, he didn't have a good experience making this. I'm not sure if you, how much you guys realize. Really? The, I didn't the, know the, that. No. The director, Michael Reeves, wanted Donald Pleasance. The problem was AIP was putting money up. Oh. They had Price under contract, and they said, no, you're getting Vincent Price. As a result, the two didn't get along. Reeves did not even meet Price at the airport. He refused to meet him at the airport. They had little back-and-forth jabs with each other. Um, uh, you know, uh, at one point I remember Vincent Price saying, I, you know, they were getting into an argument and Vincent Price said to Michael Reeves, he said, I've made, you know, these movies, you know, what have you done? And Michael Reeves went, well, I made one good one. You know, they were kind oh. of jabbing back and forth oh. at each other, um, while making this film. I, I, I don't remember where I read it, but there was an actress who said that, you know, she was leaving the set one day and Vincent Price was sitting out front looking very sort of forlorn and not happy. And, um, cause it was shot in England. Uh, and said to him, um, can I give you a lift? And he goes, are you going anywhere near California or <laughs> oh, near Los Angeles? Man. You know, so he he was not happy making this movie yet because of that. I think he really I think it helped his performance. Yeah. You know, it really did help his performance in this film. There was a scene where I think he was on a horse and he had hurt himself. Or he fell off the horse. He ended up in the hospital. Michael mm -hmm. Reeves accused him of of trying to delay production and he wasn't really hurt. And it was just not a good experience for him making this movie yet. It brought something out in Vincent price because I think that helped make him as bloodthirsty a character as he was to play Matthew Hopkins. You almost had to have that darkness. Mm -hmm, and yeah. I think it brought it out of him. Yeah. Um, that experience with, um, uh, with, uh, with the director, uh, Michael Reeves, who died not long after this of, of a drug overdose, if mm -hmm. I'm not mistaken. Oh, my yep. He, this yes. was, he did not make many films, you know, and it's unfortunate because he did make good movie. I mean, this is mm -hmm. one of them. This is really a strong movie. I mean, when you think of the real Matthew Hopkins, uh, between 1644 and 1647, 
working in East Anglia, which actually sent a chill up my spine because that was the area of um, England that I'm most familiar with. That was where my sister-in-law was from. I visited East Anglia, that territory, several times. Mm. Um, sentenced uh, people, you know, he, he had, um, uh, what was it? It was, he sentenced more people to death for witchcraft in those three years than had been condemned in all of the previous hundred years. Wow. Yep. Just yeah. him himself. He was personally responsible for 60% of all witchcraft-related executions that occurred throughout England. Matthew, the real Matthew Hopkins. Wow. So that's the type of character that, that Price is playing in this, and he's doing a good job. And I agree with you, um, Jackson. You don't get the feeling that he believes that he's doing the Lord's work here. No. You know, you get the feeling no. that he's doing, that he's just a sadistic SOB. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. You know, just trying to sort of for self gratification is what is why he's doing this. No, he enjoys this. I mean, you yeah. can, yeah, he enjoys this, and his perverted assistant enjoys this. I mean, it's it's disturbing. The scene with the tests, I think, oh, um, that gets you where where they're looking for the one spot that, when stabbed with a needle, will not bleed. Oh, you know, and you're sitting there watching this. You're like. Wait a second. And these are the type of tests they do. I remember one uh, where they throw them in the water. And if yeah. they float, <laughs> yeah. they're a witch. Let's burn them. But if they sink, it was an honest person. And we can bury them in consecrated ground. Yeah. You're yeah. kind of doomed either way. Yeah. That's Monty <laughs> Python level stuff. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You know, they, they turn, he turned me into a newt. You know, yes, somebody exactly. that out I got better. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh. All right, Jackson, what'd you think, buddy? Well, just a few things. First of all, yeah, you talked about the troubled production and uh, Michael Reeves. Yeah, he was 24 at the time making this movie. And that for, you know, for the 60s, holy crap, 24 making a feature and he had made features before that. That yeah. was like unheard of. You were in your 30s and 40s when you're making your first feature usually. Right. Um, so this guy was really young and he's directing Vincent Price. Um, and, uh, yeah, like you said, he wanted Donald Pleasance to play Hopkins, kind of threw a little bit of a hissy fit, uh, when he didn't get, uh, Pleasance and instead got Price. And, uh, I really think it's sort of like a Shelley Duvall, The Shining situation, where how much tension was on that set propelled him to give a, a better performance. Um, he, you know, he's probably just, and I watched the, um, behind the scenes documentary, mm -hmm. Dave, I don't know if you watched that. I did but, not, um, unfortunately, no. There were film historians talking and they're like, people reported that Vincent Price walked into that expecting it to just be, you know, a paycheck. Just get in, get out, get paid, walk through the movie. But after Reeves challenged him, he kind of considered it more of an opportunity to prove why he was the best and prove why people were to respect him. And, uh, and you know, but people said by the end of the production, by the end of the shoot, they had grown to respect each other, uh, if not, I mean, not maybe not respect each other as, as people, but respect each other as uh, craftsmen in their respective right. trades. Mm -hmm. um, 
And uh, yeah, like you said, Michael Reeves died less than a year later of a pill overdose while making yeah. an adaptation of the Oblong Box, wow. uh, which was then taken over by Gordon Hessler. I'm and starting a, to think with uh, Michael Jackson's death that Vincent Price was cursed for good <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> maybe. That may be the case. Yeah. And of course, you know, that Oblong bo- Box movie came out in 69. Wow. And guess who starred in that? Vincent Price Vincent and Christopher Price. Lee. So wow, yeah. sad that Michael Reeves didn't see to get that, you know, Get, didn't get to see that movie all the way through. Maybe if he had worked on another movie with Vincent Price, they would have grown to become friends. I don't know, but they never got that chance. He he was uh, troubled his entire life with drug addiction. Mm. But, um, and that might have contributed to the reason he was so, you know, agitated on set. Um, that he had this idea of the movie he was going to make because he was very involved in the pre-production, you know, with like setting writers and adapting this book that it was based on. Uh, and then he, he always imagined Donald Pleasance and then you get Vincent Price instead. Um, right. So, yeah, so that that's what was going on behind the scenes. Very troubled production. But as we've discovered with stuff like The Evil Dead, troubled productions off, often lead to amazing final products. They do. And in this case, it absolutely mm-hmm. didn't. And, you know, it's interesting because when you think of Vincent Price's career um, and I always I've said this in, in podcasts before, you have movie stars and you have like actors and there's yeah. a difference and they're both good. I mean, like like if you see um, like Robert De Niro, OK, is it Robert De Niro from The Untouchables? Is it Robert De Niro from, you know, Meet, Meet the Parents? Robert De Niro is an actor. He disappears into the role. Right. You know, when you look at it, and sometimes you don't know, Al Pacino's another one. They disappear into the role. You can you can do an impression of them, but sometimes you're picking a specific film that you're impressed, you know, because Al Pacino in Dog Day Afternoon is not the same as Al Pacino in The Godfather Part Two. Right. Two different actors. But then you have movie stars. Jack Nicholson's always Jack Nicholson. Humphrey Bogart was always Humphrey Bogart. They were great right. actors, but you, they were them. Vincent Price was another one who was always Vincent Price right. in The Witchfinder General is where he became more like a Pacino and a De Niro, where it wasn't a typical Vincent Price performance. Agreed. Absolutely. He went he went outside the box on this one. Yep. This would be the one where you'd look and say, wow, yes, he was he was Vincent Price in a lot of his films, but here he disappears into the role. You know, this is not a typical Vincent Price performance. And I think that that is what sort of makes it stand out but also, it's something, you know, that I think a Vincent Price fan, this is one you're going to cherish. You know, if you haven't seen it, this is one you're definitely going to want to see for that reason alone, because you don't get the typical Vincent Price performance. I, I completely agree. It's one of those things where it's like, you know, we've talked about House of Wax, or, or we're going to talk about House of Wax. We talked about House on Haunted Hill. Um, and yet, somehow, in those movies, Vincent Price is still kind of charming, even, yes. you know, yeah, you know, when he has his quote unquote mask on or whatever, we'll talk about right. that in a second. But here he's slimy. Yeah. Straight up the whole movie. You know, oh, my is. Lord. He's just you hate this guy. Yeah. And as much as I like Donald Pleasance, I don't think he could have done with the role what Vincent Price did. With I agree. Role. I agree. I absolutely agree. I think yeah. it ended up for the better that Vincent Price was in this movie. I agree. Jackson, what do you think? Yeah, I definitely, I couldn't see this with anybody else in the role. And, um, and you know, another thing to consider is if Donald Pleasance had played the role, things may have gone differently on set because, you know, there wouldn't be that tension there. And then maybe Donald Pleasance wouldn't have been pushed to give as good of a performance as Vincent Price turned out. So definitely, I think Vincent Price was a, was a good call. 
And this is, you know, this is a career-defining role from him. It is so, it's so villainous, so scummy. And you think for a little bit, you have this false hope in the first act. You're like, okay, maybe he's taken a liking to this girl. Maybe he's going to let them be. No. He, as soon as she's out of the picture, as and you know, he immediately goes right back into witch, witch hunting mode. And he's just, you realize who he is. And, and something that I was looking up and I found out that really disturbed me is that Matthew Hopkins in real life was in his 20s, his early 20s, when he was doing these things. Oh, and I wow. can't even imagine that. Wow. Imagine being that young and thinking, this is what I'm going to do with my life. I want to go around uh, and burn and torture and kill and stab and drown people like what a terrible terrible person and uh yeah so much so that he's like the real guy is almost like a character you can't believe he's real because like the crazy the closing credits i don't know if you stuck around but the closing credits of the movie say that all characters in this film are fictitious and he resembles to any person living or dead is coincidental because it's so unbelievable that you that you can't believe these things really happened (laughs) but they did wow that's something that's crazy uh, real quick, one of the, another actor in this who I always—it's funny because I saw him and I was trying to remember where I'd seen him before. The, uh, Richard, the guy who plays Richard Marshall, Ian Ogilvy, the mm-hmm. actor, the the soldier in Cromwell's army, the one who's in love with Sarah. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this movie, I, I I remember I'd seen this film. I, was, I, I recognize him from somewhere else. He played um, Drusus, uh, the brother of Tiberius and the father of Claudius in the I Claudius miniseries. Oh, wow. It was only in one episode. I think it was the second episode of that I, Claudius miniseries where that Drusus was featured in. Um, but that's where I, I, whenever I see him, I kind of think of Drusus. I love the I, Claudius miniseries. I watch it once a year. And I kind of think of um, uh, him in that. Uh, he was also in, um, what was that, Ripping Yarns, the, the, the comedy that Michael Palin and Terry Jones had done. Oh, I know he was in, he was in an episode in that where I think he played a school bully, but he was like, but he was like a, a um, uh, I haven't even thought of that in years. A wow. sophisticated school bully. Like he would answer the phone, uh-huh. school, school bully, you know, he was like, oh, he had his own, man. his own office or something. Yeah. He was in that too. Um, but it's definitely I Claudius, I think of with this, but I thought he was good in this film. He was a very good friend of Michael Reeves. Like they, they, I don't know if they grew up together, but they became very good friends. Mm. Um, which is why he was in this movie, Ian Ogilvy. Um, but I thought he uh, de- uh, delivered a good performance as sort of the one standing up against, um, uh, you know, the uh, the Witchfinder General, you know, mm-hmm. the uh, the Matthew Hopkins character. I thought he was good in this as well. I agree. Absolutely. He was. It was a little distracting for me because for me he reminded me reminded me of Brett McKenzie from Flight of the Concords. I thought he looked a lot like oh. him. <laughs> so that was sort of distracting. But I thought he did. I thought he did a fine job in the role. Um, his his catchphrase is, is not very uh, witty. It's just I'm gonna kill you. But you yes. know it, it works. <laughs> you, you believe him. He, you believe he is going to kill him. I was right. like, it's a little less. It's a little less uh, catchy than the whole Inigo Montoya speech. But right. uh, but, but hey, I mean, still means the same thing basically. Right. Uh, and uh, yeah, so he's great. I've never seen him in anything else, but I thought he did. He did really well in this movie. Um, even even in the scenes where he's with Vincent Price, he has a presence. You know, he is. You you feel him in that scene. He's not overshadowed by Vincent Price. So that's very impressive. So another another thing I wanted to bring up really quick is that um, the the composer of the movie. Paul Ferris also did well. First of all, he did a Freddie Francis movie. He did the Creeping Flesh, the music for that. Um, 
but he's also in the movie. I don't know what to, to what. Uh, oh, I didn't know that. Extent because nice. I don't recognize the name of the character. Um, but this was really like a an all in the family sort of thing. Like you said, the 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 lead was friends with the director, and at at the end of it, Vincent Price, I guess, came to respect Michael Reeves. But it, but the the composer is a friend of of um, of Michael Reeves, and the people who adapted the screenplay from the book that it was based on were friends of Michael Reeves. So now I'm starting to understand a little bit more why he was angry that he wasn't getting the way he wanted because he was, you know, a bunch of people who were like yes men basically to him already. Right. <laughs> it is a wonder this movie turned out as, as well wow. as it did, but yeah. I think it's fantastic. And, uh, I, it may even be tied with twins of evil as far as evil, mechanical oh, wow. movies. Wow. Go. It doesn't have that, that supernatural element to it, but, uh, it is, it is, a, it is more grounded, but it's, it's so well paced and it makes you feel a lot of emotion. You, you want vindication and ultimately, and this is something I want to get into. I don't think you really get vindicated at the end of the movie. It's, it's no. brutal, it's no. violent, but it's not at all satisfying, right? It no. just, it just goes to show that violence Violence doesn't always correct violence. We end on a stolen kill, basically. Sarah's screaming, um, strapped to the altar, and and it's probably not a bright future for the protagonist. I no. mean, he just right. hacked up the Witchfinder General. He's not getting off scot-free this time. It's right. not a happy <laughs> ending. No, this no, is not. not no. Yeah, I... This is another movie I saw via Superhost on WAB when I was a kid. And I remember being kind of traumatized by this movie. <laughs> kind of watching it as a kid going, wait a minute, what did I just watch? So, yeah. oh, yeah. man. Dave, final thoughts on Witchfinder General? Uh, it is it is a it's a really strong movie. It's a, it's a strong Vincent Price movie. Yeah. Um, you get to see Vincent Price not being Vincent Price. And it it really makes you kind of uh, feel bad that Michael Reeves didn't get to make more films because yeah. he really did turn something out special here. Yeah, he sounds like he was a bit of a spoiled brat, but it doesn't matter because he backed it up with talent. Cinematography you know? in this is really good. It is. Everything about this movie works i mean he did make a really strong movie even yeah. with not having the lead actor he wanted um ultimately it worked out and one of the things i remember vincent price saying that even though they had that bad relationship he eventually wrote um and this was when he hosted those um for pbs you know that when he hosted um his movies mm -hmm. and presented them on pbs he would do little um introductions to them and he said how for, for the one for this movie he ended up writing Michael Reeves a letter, um, thanking him, realizing what he, why he did what he did, and how it really helped him with his performance. And he said Michael Reeves just sent him back a quick little note, Vincent, I knew you would, and that's all he said. Wow. Um, wow. And then that was like that was the the um, obviously he died very shortly after that, um, but you know he he really did make a a great movie here, a very strong film. Absolutely. Jackson, your thoughts. I would have loved to see him finish the directorial duties on the oblong box. I like the oblong box, but it definitely would have been interesting to see him finish that another feature with Vincent Price, see how the relationship developed. But as far as this movie goes, it is really, it's really harrowing. It is kind of tough to watch it sometimes, not because it's overly gory or anything. It's just like the people who are being tortured 
you get a connection to them. And even if you don't know them directly, like the one, the woman he burns on that cross, lowering her into the fire, we have no idea who these characters are, but the guy in the crowd is screaming her name. You know, that is, yes. still, we're, we're with yes. them so much that, that it feels more gratuitous and horrifying than it, than it is. Um, because it, it's just, it, it is just very grounded and you have to keep in mind that this actually happened. Things like this actually happened. Um, so with that in mind, this is a really terrifying movie, maybe the scariest of Vincent Price's career, um, because there's some truth yeah. in it. But uh, I absolutely loved it. I was I was very pleasantly surprised. Um, in the first act, I was like, okay, I kind of see where this is going. I thought the whole thing with the his assistant, the Witchfinder General's assistant, and what he did to Sarah, oh, and yeah. I thought that was a little bit uh, oh, uncomfortable. Much. Yeah, yeah. But uh, the yeah. second and third acts, I mean, it just sets it up in the beginning so well, and then the second and third acts are just straightforward revenge. This guy tracking this other guy <laughs> throughout the country, and even even though uh, Vincent Price is so imposing, he's running. You know, <laughs> he's he, he's running because he knows that this guy is going to not stop until he kills him. So it is a great right. revenge movie. But ultimately, we learn that revenge isn't as sweet as as you would hope. So I I loved right. it. I'm ready to rate it. All right, let's rate it. Jackson's your pick. You go first. What do you rate this? I'm giving this one between an eight point five and a nine out of ten. I really loved it. Um, and, uh, yeah, I've already spoken my piece about that. Um, I would definitely watch this again. I kind of want to get it on Blu-ray just so I can have all the bonus features together with the movie in one place. Cause I think it's worth it. I, I, I would rewatch this often. It's you not too can long. have, you can have mine, buddy. I've got it. So, all yep. Right. Yep. All right. Dr. Shock, what about you? I'm going to commit it a nine out of 10. Yeah. I mean this, it's one of the, it's one of the ones where, I remember the first time I saw it, it sort of rubbed me the wrong way because I'm expecting a different Vincent Price type of movie. Yeah. I was watching it with a lot of other Vincent Price films and I was expecting something different. But then the more I watched, I'm like, wow, no, this is dark. I mean, this is like, yeah. this has got a darkness that even a lot of the, the, the other Price films didn't quite get. I mean, his other films were dark. This is the, the darkest of them all. Um, and it just gets stronger on repeat viewing. So yeah, nine out of 10, it's highly recommended. I'm right there with you. I'm in a nine out of 10. I love this movie. I own it. I have the Vincent Price collection, one, two, and three from Shout Factory. Um, if you, however, you know, have a, a particular aversion to sexual assault, this movie you may want to be a little bit trepid about. It's... Right. You know, it, it is tough. So, but it, it is very well made. Vincent Price is really creepy in it, and it is one of his darker roles. So, absolutely. all right. Yeah, absolutely. So, let's jump to our last review of the night House of Wax from 1953. You shouldn't have done that, my dear. It is Kathy. It's Kathy's body under the wax. I knew it. I knew it all the time. Everything I ever loved has been taken away from me. Not you, my Marie Antoinette, for I will give you eternal life. Which many claim is the first 3D movie and the IMDb synopsis reads, an associate burns down a wax museum with the owner inside. 
but he survives only to become vengeful and murderous. A little bit of a spoiler there, uh, but mm-hmm. okay. Uh, <laughs> so, Dave, when did you first see The House of Wax? You know what? I think I saw it when I was younger. We had a, a horror host uh, here in Philadelphia, um, Dr. Shock was mm-hmm. his name, which is where I took my name. And he showed mostly schlocky films. Like the ones I really remember are the the, th- the thing with two heads with Ray Milland and, and Rosie Greer yes. Yes. And, and movies like that. Um, but he would show, um, like you're saying, that we'd see Godzilla. And I'm yeah. pretty sure that I might have seen even House of Wax. If not on that, I know I'd seen it on television uh, when I was younger. And um, it's, you know what? It's, it's a good one. It's a remake, actually. Yeah. It's a remake of a 1933, which is interesting because it's a 1933 film yep. that was made in color. Yeah, the original mystery, mystery of the Wax Museum. Yeah, yes, it was originally um, a color film with Lionel Atwill yeah. and and Faye Ray uh, in the in the in the lead roles. But um, you know, I did I enjoyed it. I really did like this one. I liked um, you, you. This is this is probably Vincent Price's most. Um, uh, what am I trying to say? Not compassionate, but you you really feel bad for this guy. You know, yeah. he, 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 you feel so bad for him at the beginning. You just dislike that business partner, his, uh, Matthew he was screwed. Yeah, he was, you know, he, you just, you really dislike that guy and you feel bad for him. You feel bad for Vincent Price's, um, uh, character in this movie. Was it Henry, Henry, Henry Jared, Henry, yeah. Jer- Henry Jared. Um, because he really, you know, he, he's, he's a, he's an artist. These sculptures he's making, mm-hmm. they're beautiful. I mean, these things are amazing, these sculptures that he's making. Uh, Matthew Burke's just saying, look, can we burn this stuff down so we can make some money here from the insurance? Can we just sort of, you know, right. you know, take this place out, um, which he ends up doing. And you get that heartbreaking scene where you see these, these, um, these wax figures melting that he had put so much of his heart into and so much of his life mm-hmm. into um, that you feel bad for him. And then the next time we see him, he's, you know, being pushed around in a wheelchair by, uh, by, um, Charles Bronson, Charles Bronson. And yeah, who doesn't have a line, right? He does not have a line in this one. And it's very interesting because you know how we say everybody always got along with uh, Vincent price. Mm-hmm. Vincent price said, boy, that guy was just the one guy I could not get along with. Charles Bronson was very, gruff. really Charles Bronson was very gruff. He was just very standoffish. Vincent Price says, I just could not connect with that guy. And I remember um, um, uh, the writer as well. Who, who was it? Um, oh, God. I can't remember uh, who it was. But, uh, like, it was, um, uh, it was uh, he had just said, yeah, I just could not get along. He tried. He tried to reach out to him. But he just, Charles Bronson was standoffs. And I've heard that about him on other movies, that Charles Bronson mm-hmm. was just not yeah. a friendly guy. He was not well, somebody you could he- warm up to. Yeah, I, I've heard the report. I mean, he grew up in a large Catholic family in Pennsylvania, and he was a coal miner. And then he went. He he you know he fought the Korean War and and all the other kind of stuff. And you know, and Charles Bronson was he always felt kind of alienated from Hollywood mm-hmm. because he always felt like he just didn't fit in. Okay. Uh, he gave a famous interview on the Tonight Show after Death Wish came out. Where Johnny Carson said, so I, you know, I, I, I read something that can't be true, where it says that if your family 
were killed, like in this movie, you would go out and kill the killers. And Charles Bronson said, no, I said that. That's true. I would. Wow. <laughs> and, and Johnny Carson's like, I mean, Johnny Carson's like, uh, 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 let's go to commercial. You know? <laughs> like, he had no idea where to go after that. But he was like, you know, he's this introverted, muscular coal miner. You know what I mean? From Eastern mm-hmm. Pennsylvania, who was just like, yeah, I, I would, I'd do that. And it was just, he had no idea how to take it. I mean, and so I just don't think Charles Bronson fit in well to Hollywood. He, he did. He was. He was great. I love Charles Bronson. I yeah. love Death Wish. I thought, and, yep. and I thought that he could deliver his performance in uh, The Great Escape. Oh, is a very underrated performance. He's so oh, strong and in, in that. And in, can we not agree? I mean, Once Upon a Time in the West. Yes. Oh, yes. He's Absolutely. amazing in that. I love him in that film. I the harmonica. He's great. Yes. That opening scene on, on, on when the train on the tra- at the train station is iconic and he's part of the reason why you know with uh you know go oh, you, you, you know you, you're here to pick me up yeah looks like we're we're one horse short and he's like no you brought two too many you know with the yes, other three guys yeah. standing in front of him you know it's like oh, oh i love it absolutely that's that that um and and death wish are my two favorite probably charles bronson movies because those they're the ones you sort of think of with him but yeah. um i thought he was brilliant in the great escape as the claustro- as the claustrophobic yeah, uh, digging digging the tunnel, <laughs> yeah. underground digging the tunnel. He's the claustrophobic guy building. Yeah, digging the tunnel. Yeah, and you buy it. You buy right. it. You know, he. It's one of the strongest performances in a movie that had some great actors in it. And the Dirty Dozen. And... Oh yeah, the Dirty Dozen. Yep, he was. Oh, he was no, in no. a lot of those films. Yeah, and he was great. And and you know, you. you I'm a Charles Bronson fan. But it's just funny because, like I said, Vincent Price, he could get along with anybody. He just could not connect with Charles Bronson. Yeah, such a just... small part in this. He's such a small part. And at the beginning of his career, I think he was still being billed by his real name, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, he was. And it just, yeah, he just, he had a hard time fitting in in Hollywood. But Jackson, what did you think of House of Wax on the first viewing? Because I think this, was this mm-hmm. not your first viewing? Yeah, it was. Well, I'd I'd seen parts of it, of course, and I thought I'd seen more of it, but I think I was confusing it with Taurus Trap. Truth be told, um, <laughs> but uh, but I I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, as far as Charles Bronson goes, uh, Carolyn Jones is also in this movie. Um, yeah, she she recalled not liking Charles Bronson in this movie either. I saw that oh, on wow. prime, the Prime trivia, so maybe it was just he was having a bad day, but um, or a bad twenty days, yeah. but um. I I was I was very pleasantly surprised by this. It's beautifully shot. I mean, the color yes. in this movie, the the Technicolor and that opening, you got the fire yeah. against the blue brick on the outside. It looks it looks amazing. And knowing this was a shot with yep. 3D cameras, like that usually makes the movie look worse if you're not watching it in 3D. But this movie just looks great. Uh, you can definitely tell. You can tell it's a 3D yeah. movie. I mean, like the the opening credits have that like 3D like thing behind them, like a trail behind them. And there are a couple times when people are fighting, the punches come towards the screen. I think um, when Charles Bronson is fighting the uh, male love interest of of the main girl, the, his hand comes right into the screen. It's like Friday the Thirteenth Part yep. Three. But so wasn't uh, there a yo-yo, a yo-yo, or something? Or there's something. I, yes, I there's a yo-yo oh, artist yeah. out the ping pong kind of guy. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's what it was. That the paddle ball, the paddle yeah. ball. Yes. 
they had to throw that guy in, and he's on there for like five minutes. It's like they found the guy who can who can do some cool paddleball tricks, and they're like, "Well, just throw it in the movie. This is a variety show he's, now." He's there for a while, and you know yeah. that that's that's to get the three D. That's to get the, the, the yep. effect of the three D in there. Yep. Um, and it's really interesting because Andre de Toth, who directed this, um, had he 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 only had one eye. He wore an eye patch. He could not enjoy yes. the three D effect when he finally oh, saw no. the thing. They hired the guy to do the first three D movie. You can't see three D yet. <laughs> that's an old Bo Burnham joke. That's the the man with one eye in a three D movie. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. I saw a man with only one eye. In a 3D movie, I saw a little boy drop his ice cream cone directly on his mother's corpse. Um, yeah, but uh, it looks—it looks great. I mean, it looks fantastic. That Technicolor. I mean, you still can't beat that. You get with even with like the most like rich red cinematic 4K camera these days. You can't quite make it look as charming as those old Technicolor movies. But um, yeah, I I, I love I loved the script for this movie. Lots of great, like, weird, odd lines. Like, in the beginning, uh, when uh, when Vincent Price is talking to Roy Roberts, I think his name is, his business partner, the actor, um, he's, th- he gets a knock on the door. He's talking about the investors, and he says, that should be they now, which is a really weird <laughs> line. Yes. But then he's that got a great strange. one. In that same scene, he's got a great one. He's, like, talking about uh, Booth, who shot Lincoln, uh, he's like, of course he talks to me. It's not easy to shut an actor's mouth. And then he kind of smirks and walks away like that was a clear, <laughs> yeah, a clear nice. fourth wall sort of thing. I liked that. That's, that's um, nice, yeah, nice so, pickup. So this, the script awesome. is 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 really fantastic. There's lots of little great moments in there. Um, of course, they have to have. I, I don't even know if you can call it a twist. I mean, you know what what's going oh, on. It's yeah, just, it just has to be visually revealed on, yeah. to you. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it's 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 well paced. It's pretty. There's some pretty for 1953. That that hanging kill in the elevator shaft. That's pretty extreme. I feel oh, like. Yeah. Uh, I, and when mm-hmm. Vincent Price is, you know, okay, I'll just okay. We said we're a spoiler podcast when mm-hmm. Vincent Price yeah. is chasing, you know, right. the woman down the street for 1953. That's pretty, pretty effective. Yeah. Like a slasher yes, villain. Yeah. Really he reminded is. me of like Jack the Ripper, but also with that burnt face makeup, I'm yeah. thinking Freddy Krueger, like in that scene with Nancy yeah. or not Nancy. Um, mm-hmm. uh, or maybe it wasn't, uh, the blonde hair girl, I think was in the alley scene anyways. Um, yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so, and I'm wondering if that was a, I know there are a bunch of inspiration for Nightmare on Elm Street, like those, the sleep, uh, death thing going on and the cat, you know, and the, the bully Fred oh, Krueger, yeah. yeah, all that stuff contributed to Wes Craven's, but I'm wondering if he saw this movie, like, cause it, it is, you know, it is kind of like that. He claims he didn't yep. because of his background, you know, mm-hmm. but maybe he sure. did later on. I mean, he claims because... He was raised in a really strict Baptist home that he never saw anything but Disney movies until he did his master's degree. But maybe at that point he did, and maybe a revival thing or something, yeah. But he's genuinely scary. I mean, he's he's a real menacing presence, um, just knowing that he's this kind of, like, serial killer, essentially. But during the day, he's got this mask on, you know, no pun. And I don't even know if that's a pun. That's just actually what he's doing. Uh, Which, I mean, that's one of the more far-fetched 
you know, things of the movie that nobody noticed he was wearing a wax mask that entire movie. Like, he's a good sculptor, <laughs> but that good to make oh, nobody realize no, 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 the wax yeah, mask. That's, that's fan- the most fantastical part of the movie. But yeah. it, it, it goes back to, Jackson, what we were talking about with Andred. Do you remember mm-hmm. when we were on the Freaks and Psychos podcast, which is the victim becomes the victimizer, right? Right. Yeah, absolutely, because we're with him in the uh-huh. beginning. We're like, oh, this, this is our protagonist. No, he's, he's definitely not. But we need that tragic yeah, beginning. You, you feel sorry for him at first, and then absolutely. he becomes the monster, just mm-hmm. like you would have felt sorry for Mrs. Voorhees in 1957. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yep. So, absolutely. yeah, he's, he's a great, and just like Witchfinder General, he is a very villainous character, but he's got depth to him. I would argue even more so depth-wise in this movie, because we do get to spend time with him before, um, you know, everything is taken away from him. I mean, those those sculptures were his family, especially the Marie Antoinette sculpture. He was especially fond of that one. And to, when he watched it melt in that fire, that was just, it was actually heartbreaking. When when uh, when uh, his business partner was going around lighting everything on fire, I was trying to scramble toward the screen to put out the fires. I was like, no, no, it looks <laughs> so good because i knew that they were gonna go for it i knew with this right. kind of movie they were gonna go for it and actually melt those wax sculptures um now people have pointed out that you can see them pulling down the wax sculptures with strings you can you can if you look hard yeah. enough against the flames yeah. but it's still heartbreaking and you got to be with Vincent. well Price. but it's one of those things we've talked about whereas when i first saw this movie on tv and like right. the 1970s you couldn't see that mm-hmm. now today, yeah no, yeah with vhs but with HD or Blu-ray, 4K, whatever, now you can, which right. is one of my arguments that, you know, with all the blessings of Blu-ray with modern movies and 4K, it actually hurts older movies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. I agree. Yeah, especially with stuff like we've discussed this before, but Sleepaway Camp, you can see in a few scenes who oh, the shadowy figure's yeah, face and, is. Like in Kevin yeah. Bacon's death in Friday the 13th, you can see right. it's a fake head. Mm-hmm. Right. You can, see, you can see the separation on 4K, whereas if you go back to VHS, you can't. Right. right. That's very true. I remember um, hearing somebody say when they looked at um, uh, what Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs in uh, Blu-ray. This is not even 4K when it was in Blu-ray. You had um, they. It's almost like you can see the animated cells moving, as opposed to it being like legitimate motion, which right. you got up to that point. It's like you feel the animator's hand in it, you know. And and that's when some of these things were just not meant to be as clear as that. Exactly. No. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, we covered the Prowler with Greg, you know, Amortis, and I, I have the Blu-ray of the Prowler. It looks so much better on VHS than it does on Blu-ray. It it, it just does. Uh, Because on Blu-ray, you can kind of see some of the seams. You can kind of see, you know, but on VHS, you couldn't. It's like you you said many times, Dr. Shock, it's like you watch The Prowler and it's like, oh, my gosh, that guy's dead. Yeah, exactly. You think, okay, we're watching a snuff film here. Uh, yeah, how, how exactly. It's, how this hasn't been, uh, you know, flagged, but okay, yeah. I mean, when that, that the scene with the sword and just oh. everything, it, it's like, like you're like, wow, that, that long knife, I guess it was. You're just and like, yeah. wow. You know, this is, we just watched somebody die. That's how good the effects that Tom Savini put together and for that. Exactly. Right? We're like, uh, yeah, I mean, he said, yeah, I mean, uh, Tom Savini has has people come up to him all the time and say, you, you killed those people, right? I mean, <laughs> they thought it was a snuff film. And, and, and on VHS, it looks that way. But on Blu-ray, you can see 
the effects. And and, right. and that's kind of the, you know, uh, that's kind of the cut against it. So go ahead, Jackson. I'm sorry. No, just, um, yeah, and I totally agree with you. It depends on the movie you're watching, like what the preferred thing is. And I, I definitely like streaming, even if you can see the fault. Sometimes that's charming. But also, you know, I like having subtitles. Um, so that's another feature. You can skip around easier than on VHS. So it, there, there are weaknesses, but with slashers, I mean, VHS is the way to go, I feel like. Um, um, so, yeah, but I, I don't honestly see that as a flaw, that you can see the, the strings pulling the wax sculptures down because they still did actually melt those wax sculptures. I mean, you see it happen. So, yeah. Um, yep. yeah. And that was really heartbreaking. We're right there with Vincent Price. Um, not re- I don't really uh, understand how he escaped still to this day. Did he explain that fully, how he escaped that building? He kind of just seems like I thought I was dead too, but then not, I wasn't. Not really. And no, I mean, look, if you're looking for logic... There's no way he would have survived those burns, you know. Oh and, yeah, that was that was insane. Yeah, that that, that wouldn't insane. happen. No, that that's a that's a leap, but it's a leap that works in my opinion. Mm-hmm. It's a fifties movie, you know. Yeah, um, this is the one that people think is Vincent Price's first foray into horror. You know, this is the one that sort of launched him as a horror <laughs> actor. Um, oh no. He had, he had appeared in Tower of London. Tower of London, yeah. Yes, but that's not really a horror film. That is a, that is a, that they, they, made, they made it a horror film. They promoted it as a horror film because Boris Karloff is in it. Right. And Basil Rathbone is in it. It is more of a historical drama because he plays Clarence, one of the brothers of Richard III and the King, King Edward and whatnot, the one who they, who ends up drowning in a, in a vat of wine. Um, it's it's not consi- they promoted it as horror because Karloff was part of it, but it's not really a horror movie. But he did do um, the voice of the title character in The Invisible Man Returns, which he also yeah. sort of redid for Abbott right. Costello meets Frankenstein, the last moment of, of, of that. And it one. was also Universal. It was yeah, that was Universal yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, now in House of Wax, though, if you're going to look at this as the one. You actually can even look at it as you get the two Vincent Prices. You get the sophisticated Vincent Price at the beginning, the guy you like, the yep. guy who you're connecting to. Then after the fire, not only has this guy, um, his outlook has changed. You know, he, like he's now much angrier. This guy's looking for revenge. This guy's looking to, you know, he, he's, he's just become more of, a, uh, of an angry individual. But look at the creations he's did. Early on, it was Joan of Arc, Marie Antoinette. Then it becomes, after the everything, the death of Marat, the beheading of Anne Boleyn. Ooh, interesting. The, the, they become much more macabre. The, the, cre- the, 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 the wax figures he's creating, and the way he's doing it, obviously, um, is, is um, much more macabre. He's, he's using real bodies because his hands are so burned, he can't do what he used to do. Um, you know, it's it's as as much as you like him early on, as much of a, as a nice guy as he is, House of Wax comes to life the moment Vincent Price turns into a monster. Yes, oh, you know? absolutely. And it gets it. That's what, so. It's almost like you're seeing. It's not just this movie. There's a point in the movie where Vincent Price becomes the Vincent Price we now know for the rest of his career. Oh, from the time he's unveiled in that bedroom. And then when he's chasing the girl down the street, mm-hmm. he, oh, he is, I, you know, I remember being five years old and terrified of that. Yeah, absolutely. That is, that's an intense moment. It really yeah. is 
for a movie from the 1950s. Yes. Um, you know, it, it, it absolutely is. But yeah, that this one, um, you know, without the 3D, again, we go back to that scene with the guy with the with the paddle ball. You know that that's <laughs> all for 3D and everything. Yeah. Um, but it's I think Vincent Price's performance. This is how sinister he gets in this one from a nice guy that you like. You want to see him get back at this business manager. You really do. You yes. want to see him take it to this this partner, not manager, partner, this business partner of his. You want to see him take it to him. And you, you get that. But then from that point on, you're not on his side anymore. This is now mm-hmm. a villain. This is now a monster. And it's really interesting how they, they did that, you know. And that's what I think really lifts this film to sort of like a, being a classic of the horror genre. It really is, um, even with it being a remake. Um, uh, I do. I, I really, I do. I love this film and I have the Blu-ray. It's not part of the Vincent Price collection, but they mm-hmm. did release no, this on not. Blu-ray. Yeah. They did release it on Blu-ray. It might even be a 3D. I think there's a version where they have this in 3D on Blu-ray. It, it is. I have it. It's on. And for once, Warner Ar- Archive actually has a commentary and bonus stuff and the nice. 3D. Awesome, Which Warner Archive usually doesn't do anything. And you get the trailer, usually, yeah, if you get yeah. anything, and that's it. Yeah, exactly. But Warner Archive actually did deliver a solid Blu-ray with this awesome. one. Yeah, it's so, really good. All right, what else do we want to say about this? Dr. Shock, you go first. Just real quick, Andre de Toth, the director. One of the things I always think of when I see his name or when I see a movie, I see him in the credits, in the early, very early 2000s, I think he died in the early 2000s, but right before he died, they were talking about, um, there was, they were doing something. I, I think I saw it in the theater for some reason. It was a quick thing about Alfred Hitchcock. And I don't know why, but there was something about Hitchcock. Andre de Toth was one of the few who was just nasty and negative about Hitchcock. He said, wow. Hitchcock, Hitchcock called actors cattle. That son of a bitch. How dare he say that about actors calling them cattle? He was just really angry about Hitchcock. He did not have nice things to say about Alfred Hitchcock, which I thought, and I always think of that. I don't even, I'm pretty sure I saw that on the big screen in a theater, something being promoted about Alfred Hitchcock. Um, You know, at the Regal, they always have like the 20 minutes um, before the movie starts where you get, Little, um, uh, you know, uh, little snippets, features about new TV shows or movies coming out oh, or whatever. Yeah, right. And it was something about Hitchcock. And I just remember Andre de Toth. Everyone else sort of singing Hitchcock's praises. Andre de Toth would have none of it. He was just <laughs> did not like Alfred Hitchcock one bit. Um, but wow. as, far as, as far as House of Wax goes, um, it really, like I, like I was saying earlier, this is the one where you see Vincent Price go from the Vincent Price that everybody kind of knew up to that point, with a few exceptions that we had mentioned about, like Tower of London and, and The Invisible Man, uh, returns to becoming the Vincent Price that everybody knew. And you see it, the transition in the movie. Everybody mm-hmm. loves him, then everybody's scared to death of him. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, Jackson, what do you say about House of Wax? Closing thoughts. Uh, for well, I just want to see Carolyn Jones. She's got a small role in this movie, but her writing is so witty. And that part where she's getting yes. laced up to go out on her mm-hmm. date, 
I thought that was fantastic. <laughs> and for 1953, it was like they're writing a female character well, I thought. Um, yes. But uh, another thing I wrote down, I, I don't know if you guys got an intermission when you were watching it, but uh, I had pretty hilarious no. intermission placement. There was an uh, intermission in the in the Prime version. Um, it's like, you know, the part where he's talking about he's going to have new crimes in his in his wax museum and they're going to be the next day. And it's like, who's this guy? Well, he's the, I just read about him. He's the guy that hung himself. And Vincent Price goes, yes, he hanged himself in an elevator shaft. Intermission. It cuts to intermission right there. It's oh, hilarious. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, when his body falls out, the guy's body falls out and he says he he hanged himself in an elevator shaft and then curtains close. Um, so, yeah, that was that was fantastic. The guy who played Leon, who's the guy the police are interrogating that worked with yeah. uh, the wax and, and um, uh-huh. he he I was looking at the Amazon trivia tab uh, on the side of the screen and the guy that played him was blacklisted during the Red Scare so oh, he wow. was uncredited cool. in the movie even though he's in it for quite a bit I mean and he's yeah. the one that, that is the catalyst for the police going to the Wax Museum were it not for them you know that guy would have been beheaded in the guillotine and the lady would have been covered in wax so he's kind of the the person who wow. puts the whole thing in motion and uh, yeah uncredited um and then another thing, I was kind of, I really enjoyed that fight between Charles Bronson and the uh, the love interest of the of the girl. Awesome yeah. stage punches and throws. I mean, Charles Bronson's <laughs> got a real physicality to him. I don't know. He's 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 put well. Up a, a good he fight. was a he was an amateur boxer, so mm-hmm. yeah. So I mean, and of course we get a three D punch like right into the camera during that scene, which is kind of cheesy. But I really. I kind of wish that we had seen Charles Bronson cut that guy's head off with the guillotine. That would have been awesome. I guess in 1953, <laughs> we were already kind of pushing it with the whole wax-covered corpses thing in 1953. So uh, I'm, I'm sure adding a beheading scene wouldn't have helped them get released. But I, I think that would have been awesome. Um, also, another thing I wrote down is pretty abrupt ending. We kind of they're back at the police station, and then we end on a joke, and then it's over. It's kind of a weird ending. I kind of <laughs> wish we had ended with Vincent Price's demise. I kind of wish we had just ended there, but for some reason they talk about putting the coat on the lady, and that's the end of it. Um, I don't know. It's, it's again, it's a fifty thing. Maybe I thought it was too glout, like too dour to end on Vincent Price, this person we liked in the first act, falling into a scalding hot thing of of wax and dying. Maybe that was too dour. Hour. Right. But uh, <laughs> holy crap! Less than ninety minutes. We get lots of kills for for a fifties movie. Yep. We get characters we can yep. sympathize with. We get occasionally pretty great writing and good music and Technicolor cinematography. I, it's I think it's fantastic. It's not. I don't right. think it's Pierce. I don't think it's not Pierce. I don't think it's Price's best movie. I I'm starting to think mm-hmm. Witchfinder General is my favorite. <laughs> but um. I'd say it's it's pretty great for what ultimately amounted to a technical experiment, making a feature in 3D. Mm-hmm. So for using that new technology, and pr- this was probably a, like a studio move to get cash. The way it turned out, I thought it, it was pretty good. And I'm I haven't seen it, the remake with Paris Hilton, but I can almost guarantee this is better. <laughs> oh yeah, oh, I, I, can, I, I, yeah I haven't. I, I haven't seen that. it either, but yeah, I, th- I think I think they probably should have stopped at this remake. They didn't, yeah, need, they didn't need another remake. Of it. I've <laughs> seen it, and yes, I can guarantee you that. Even though it's not terrible, it it, it actually isn't terrible. But okay, it, it's it's not anywhere close to this. So no. Jackson- yeah. If you have a choice, watch Vincent Price's House of yes. Wax as opposed to Paris Hilton's House. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jackson, what do you rate this, buddy? 
I'm giving this one a 9 to a 9.5. Yeah. Uh, I, this is my favorite movie we watched for this episode, I would say. I would say stream it or rent it on Prime, but if you don't have but you Amazon... Liked, you liked Vincent Price's performance in Witchfinder General better. Yeah, which he... Right. Yeah, because he was so imposing in that one. But yeah. we get that tragic element. The more I'm thinking about it, I don't know. I, 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 they're so good for different reasons, but yeah, it's such a great movie. If, if you don't have Amazon, you don't want to rent it on Amazon, I say just buy it, because it is, it is such you a great You can get experience. the Blu-ray for pretty cheap, I think for less than 15 bucks, and it, it, with the 3D and the audio commentary, which is rare for Warner's Archives uh, mm-hmm. Blu-ray, and I think it's worth it. I own it. it it's worth it. Definitely. Yeah, I, 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 want, I want this. I want to see this on the big screen. I want to experience it like those 50s audiences and think, wow, the, the, the text is coming right for me. It's like the whole silent <laughs> era. It's like the whole silent film era train thing all over again. Right, right. <laughs> well, you know, the cool thing is that, Jackson, you and I, we have a good friend that owns a theater literally a half a mile from me, and he's throwing these parties where for 100 bucks you can come and have a private viewing party. So maybe we just need to do House of Wax. So, oh, all fun. right. Um, Dave, what do you rate this? I'm there. I'm nine out of 10. I mean, this is, yeah. it is, a, it's uh, with everything else. It, it, like, like Jackson was saying, it's a beautiful film. It really yeah. is just gorgeous to look at. And you don't usually think that when it comes to a horror movie, but that's what this is. It's just yeah. a beautiful movie. And I remember, with the original one from 33, uh, with Mystery of the Wax Museum, I remember watching that thing, and, you know, it's cool that it's in color from 1933, but I kind of wish it was in black and white. Yeah. Because I think, you know, when you get a fog-filled street like they have in that one, it doesn't quite work as well uh, in that movie. Um, right, I agree. In color. Um, but the color is brilliant in this one. I mean, it's just, an, a, it's, it's a beautiful film to look at. Vincent Price, um gives uh, two performances in this yes um you you see the transition to the later vincent price and um yeah it's just a it's a it's a great movie yeah nine out of ten absolutely and i do have the blu-ray and i do recommend it as well absolutely so dave where can they find you online buddy Okay, um, you can find me on dvdinfatuation.com. I'm still posting reviews over there. I'm, I'm in the middle of, um, right now, a Kirk Douglas marathon, watching a lot nice. of Kirk Douglas films. Um, I think Lonely of the Brave just posted today, which is nice. one of the, my favorites that I got to see. Um, I'm on Twitter, at dvdinfatuation. I'm on Facebook, uh, Instagram, and Letterboxd as well. I have my YouTube channel. Which not too long ago I, I posted something my uh, my my forty fives my my uh, my vinyl singles that I had found, oh, cool. um, and I'm going to be posting something hopefully in the near future over there as well. As far as other podcasts, I have my DVD infatuation podcast over um, on uh, Jay Jason Piles uh, considering the cinema Jay of the yep. Dead. Uh, he produces that for me, and it's 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 been fun doing it. I get to sort of plan everything out. I'm I'm sort of getting a little more comfortable now solo casting um but i do have a very special guest uh coming up in june um uh that i'm really looking forward to we can announce it now jackson will be joining me on an episode and uh he's uh he's got some great uh ideas um uh for some topics i'm really looking forward to uh to having him on that's going to be great um that'll be in the june uh, episode um, and of course I'm on the, um, the illustrated fan, which is an offshoot of phantom galaxy with Nathan yes. Bartleball. 
the main one, Nathan Barterball, and of course, uh, B- Bill the Butcher uh, are on Phantom Galaxy, and the illustrated fan, uh, Nathan and I, are taking a look at animated movies. And the most recent one, we looked at a couple of war films, animated war nice. films. Uh, Waltz, Waltz, uh, Waltz with Bashir and um, the Funan, which came out about a year or so ago. Um, which was a lot of fun. Nice. Um, and that, that's coming out, um, probably out, maybe even out by the time this episode uh, posts. Um, of course, Land of the Creeps uh, with my, yes. my very good friends, uh, Greg Amortis um, and Bill the Butcher. And of course, Pearl uh, on the special, um, the, the, uh, the, the specials that they do for every holiday, which is great. Um, Haddonfield Hatchet uh, will be back on at some point. You know, he's a very busy man right now with, uh, he's a lawyer. Practicing um, law, yeah. Practicing law, but hopefully he'll be back on soon as well. And yeah. of course, um, the um, uh, Silver Bolo winning ha- horror movie <laughs> yes. podcast with uh, my uh, good friends, uh, Gilman Joel and Wolfman Josh. And we are going to do everything in our power, um, folks. July, is it 16th, Jackson? Something like that. We will be with Joe Bob and Darcy. And we will be lobbying for Land of the Creeps to win the Silver Bolo yes. Award as well, because it well deserves it. So, um, and so, Jackson, where can I find you online, buddy? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Kane underscore Hero 12. That's K A I N E underscore Hero 12. You can find my letterbox links and, and uh, YouTube links from there. Um, and, uh, I, I, I don't want to say too much right now, but I, I am working on a new film project. So if you want to check out nice. updates about that, oh. I'm going to be doing weekly awesome. updates about that on the Patreon page. There you um, go. so, so check that out weekly videos on there as well as a review of it's alive coming soon. So oh, if you, if you nice. want me to redeem myself a little bit from uh, night with, of the from, demons, from my opinion on night of the demons, <laughs> Uh, in my positive <laughs> rating, may I add, for Night you, of the Demons. You, you took some slack for, or flack, I should say, for not giving a high review at Night of the Demons, but you did say you liked it. I liked it, and I gave it a positive re- review. Uh, I liked It's Alive more, yeah. and that's all I'll say. But uh, making a review <laughs> of that, I have a, an the update. Late great Larry my... Cohen, yeah. Yes, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, so yeah, check check me out on that. Check me out YouTube, Letterboxd, Twitter, and um, we'll talk about horror movies. There we go. And be sure to check out fatherandsonwatchhorror.com and our Twitter account and our closed Facebook account, Instagram account. We have a Patreon page, which all money goes to help put Jackson through film school and his film endeavors. I can be found at at Pastor Ma- Matt. Oh, R. Gosh, tongue twister <laughs> on Twitter and Letterboxd. <laughs> So, all right, Jackson, say goodbye to the good people. Goodbye, and remember, if you exited out of this podcast at any time, Satan has proved you a witch. You will pay for your crimes by (laughs) listening to the rest of the podcast at a time that is convenient for you. What? I'm a little bit bit more forgiving than Matthew Hopkins. Oh, a lot more forgiving than Matthew Hopkins. (laughs) Who is? Dick Cheney was more forgiving than Matthew. Okay, all right. Thanks for listening, and remember, the family that watches horror together slays together. Once again, I want to thank the great people over on Patreon. Dave Becker, Greg Bench, Dan George, Ian Urza, Kevin Corby, Ashley Pinker, Blake Pops, Joel Robertson, Brian Scott, Amy Swan, and Trey Whetstone. Thank you all so much for the continued support. Have a great week.
I can that sense we fun. have a puppy a puppy coming to your house soon. Dad. I have a puppy. We'll be here in the next five minutes. Yeah. Nice. Awesome. A, a quote unquote, and my wife loved this dorky, part Yorkie, part dash hound. So it's a dorky. <laughs> and, have fun. Puppies are always fun. You're, you're, it's going to be a learning experience for everyone. You know, exactly. it's, uh, and there'll be a bit of some messes. But uh, that sounds, already, like, it sounds like a cute mat, a cute, a cute mix. I already told her, I said, when she went to uh, Petco this afternoon, I said, buy pee pads. Oh, lots yes. of pee pads. <laughs> yes. 